People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Wow, we have a really interesting show today, Lori. Yes. We're, Something I'm really interested in. Uh, we're going to be talking about non-steroidal transplantation. I mean, immune suppressant drugs are so complicated. They're medications that you have to take every single day after you get a transplant. You know, they are as complicated as me trying to set up my VCR. <laughs> And one of the things that, you know, I didn't really realize until I, you know, really understood the situation was, is that they are suppressing our immune system when they give us a transplant. Because no matter what, the body views the kidney as a splinter in your finger. And it's always trying to get rid of it. Always. And so they're trying to... I hated splinters as a child. I hated them. They're trying to get rid of it. So what the doctors have to do is figure out how to fool it and make sure that the body recognizes or doesn't recognize the kidney as a foreign body. Maybe they could dress it up or something, you know, and (laughs) put a little costume on it, disguise, a little mustache. Um, Well, maybe for Mr. Potato Head, but not for a kidney. Today we're going to talk to William Marks, who works for Swedish Medical Center in Seattle. And not only William Marks, but Dr. William Marks. Dr. William Marks, and he's a leading transplant surgeon there. And he's going to One tell us best. all about non-steroidal transplantation. He's had a lot of success and really going to tell us about this new emerging therapy that's happening throughout he, the country. And he's one of the best doctors you can get, you know. And with every transplant, he gives you green stamps. Hello. Hey, Betty. Mary and I are going to lunch at that new Italian restaurant across from the mall. Dying to go to that place. I hear they got great salads. Then the three of us can do a little shopping across the street and just have a girl's day out. Mm, That sounds like fun. I can't wait. Meet us at 1230 at Tuscany's. Ugh. Wait a second. Today's Thursday. I've got dialysis. Just going early. Are you kidding? They are so strict about the times, and besides, they're all full all day. Maybe next time. I'll tell you about the restaurant and what Mary and I bought at the mall. Such a good friend. There's gotta be a better way. Instead of next time, how about next stage? What Betty doesn't know is there is a better way. The next stage system one, the first truly portable home hemodialysis machine, can help you take back your life and set your own schedule for home hemodialysis treatments. After a short training period for you and a partner, you have your own portable dialysis machine right in your own home. All of your supplies are delivered to your doorstep. Taking back your life and setting your own schedule are just part of it. Doing dialysis at home also allows for more frequent dialysis, which better imitates the function of a normal kidney. Many patients doing more frequent dialysis report that they have more energy and feel better. Want to travel? With your doctor's prescription, Next Stage can support travel anywhere in the continental U.S. The Next Stage machine is about the size of a 13-inch TV and has a sturdy travel case available, and all your supplies will be delivered to your destination. So schedule dialysis around your life instead of your life around dialysis. Ask your doctor if home hemodialysis with the Next Stage System 1 is right for you. For more information, call Next Stage at one 866 Stage or visit www.nextstage.com. Pop the magic dragon, live by the 
a mist in a land called Hanali. Well, welcome, Dr. Marks. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Well, we're going to talk about uh, non-steroidal transplantation. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what does it mean for the person who's getting a transplant or has a transplant? Anytime you do a transplant, you have to uh, give patients or recipients of the transplanted organ medicines that let their body accept the organ as their own. What we're really doing is we're fooling the immune system of the recipient into accepting the organ because it's just a little bit out of focus as far as it's concerned. It can't quite tell if that's tissue that belongs or doesn't belong. And our goal with immunosuppression is to make that circumstance happen, but not to blind this system that's there to protect you to things that are harmful. So we'd like it to just put that organ a little bit out of focus. And in order to do that, we have to give the body a number of medicines. And over the years, we've learned increasingly how to improve that ability by designing drugs that are meant to specifically prevent rejection and yet allow the body to fight infection, viruses and funguses and the like. I know the medications have improved so much over the years. I mean, when I got my first transplant in in the 80s, I mean, I think they had two drugs, steroids and Imuran. Correct. And that's the point, is that early on, we didn't know how to do that very well. And you're right. We had just steroids, prednisone, and Imuran. And they were not terribly effective, but they were quite destructive because they basically wiped out or held down large amounts of this protective system. And what we found was that prednisone itself, steroids, although effective, had a lot of side effects, tremendous number of side effects in terms of gaining weight and making uh, uh, problems with wound healing and opening people up to infection and diabetes and and uh, problems with bones, uh, uh, healing and with, with uh, bone resorption and, or thinning of bones. My favorite is the hair growth. <laughs> <laughs> on the face for women. <laughs> yes, although the hair growth was really primarily the result of another drug. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, actually, if it worked really well, if you'd see my head, you'd know that I'd be taking it. <laughs> um, but the steroids had a lot of side effects that we didn't want to have. And so one of the great goals of transplantation was to have other possibilities so that we didn't have to give steroids. And even though we would still have other side effects we'd have to deal with, we would get rid of this large number of side effects that are just resident with steroids. And that's what we've been able to accomplish. So we have to use some sort of drugs. Early on, we used steroids, and now we've come up with some methods, at least in a limited number of programs. Um, We were learning how to do this without steroids and being very successful at it. So many doctors now are, are still using, like, prednisone. And but I think they cut it down to usually like five milligrams a day. Is that still dangerous with the side effects? Well, it's, you're asking a very loaded question, Stephen. Um, well, that's what they pay me for. <laughs> we're very comfortable doing things that we know work. We don't want to hurt anyone. No one wants to do that. And so making changes, getting out of your comfort zone, adopting something new is often very difficult for people. And uh, because you, you don't want to take any chances. In, in cases where you really have ironclad evidence that something's going to work, it's much easier to, to change your practice. And that's what happened, happened with steroids. When we were 
growing up, and you have to remember that the modern age of transplantation didn't even get started until 1984 with the in- introduction of a drug called cyclosporin, so that uh, we're, we're really a very new specialty. So, you, you know, prior to that time, the mainstay was prednisone, and, and following that, we just sort of kept it on board, and we were all, all nurtured in the, mm-hmm. in the field by using, uh, with the, you know, the use of, of steroids. So to get away from that is like, like uh, you know, getting rid of the, the apple pie out of, uh, uh, out of the American life in some way. So non-steroidal transplantation is really just a new therapy. Yeah, I know a lot of doctors are against it. I, I the ones I've talked to are, are against non-steroidal. Just a couple, you know, like to do it. You know, or they say it's just too risky, and it, it just there isn't enough data uh, to say that it's successful. And why would you want to lose the kidney you were just transplanted? And, and Stephen, that's exactly the point. People don't want to get out of their comfort zone until they're absolutely sure they're not going to hurt anyone. They don't. They don't want to not move out of their comfort zone just because. Um, you know, they think that uh, their way of thinking is, is better or they're in some way wanting to, to, to harm the patient. Their goal, all of our goals, is not to harm the patient. And until you're pretty convinced, you don't want to change practice. Well, now the evidence is becoming prevalent in, in a number of centers. We were very fortunate in being one of the centers that began pioneering this uh, way of doing it. We're into our, I think, the beginning of our seventh year now. And, and our, our answer simply is, that what we're now starting to accumulate is long-term data, data out and extending out five years. The data is the equivalent or better than steroid-using protocols. So we're very satisfied with non-steroidal, as are another, a number of other programs in, in the country. Well, it's a practice. I mean, you know, this is one thing I've learned living with kidney disease for 38 years is medicine is a practice, and they're practicing on us. And they get better and better, and they learn, and, you know, technology improves. And I've been on five milligrams of steroids every day for 16 years. And, you know, I, I even get nervous, Stephen, like, oh, my God, just thinking about not taking steroids because I've been conditioned with steroids. And, and you should be nervous about the idea of not taking steroids just by our experience nationally and internationally with groups that first started to try to get away from steroids by taking people that had been on them for a long time and then taking them off. Unfortunately, once you start taking steroids, and I can't tell you exactly for how long and exactly mm-hmm. how much, that's, that's really a gray area, but once you've been on them for a long time, a significant amount, something happens to a significant percentage, not all, a significant percentage of patients' immune systems. It's almost like priming the pump so that when they are removed, even from small doses of steroids over time, a significant percentage of those people will have a rejection reaction. Mm-hmm. And a significant number of those reactions, even though they'll be turned around, will leave the kidneys at risk for you know, sort of an accelerated loss through a chronic process, through a long-term process. So my body's addicted to steroids, basically. <laughs> yeah, I... I I hate to put it in those terms because it isn't truly an addiction. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying in the term, it's just used to it instead of addicted. It's just become comfortable with taking the steroids. And, you know, as I say right now, it's it's working. So, you know, well, you do. it's not broken. I don't want to fix it. That's a big point here because the answer is if I had a dipstick that could determine if mm-hmm. you were in the 80% that could probably get rid of their steroids and not have a problem versus the 20% that would have a problem, we would have a different discussion. Right. I just don't have that measure. You don't have that crystal ball, do you? 
No. <laughs> and you know what? You, we you, will one of these days. You do uh, kind of look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Lori does. Yes, I have. um, There are benefits to steroids. It takes all the wrinkles out of your face. I mean, it just, um, it's it's very beneficial in that way. Well, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits of non-steroidal transplantation. And we'll have some more questions for you. So we'll just be back in a second. If you'd like to receive information and materials regarding transplantation, join the Transplant Experience Program by calling 1-877-482-7627. When you enroll, you'll receive a free transplant information kit, including a resource journal and your own copy of this video, Sharing the Experience. The Transplant Experience Program provides information, tools, resources, and inspiration to patients at every stage of the transplant process, all free of charge. Call 877-482-7627 today and join Transplant Experience, sponsored by Estellas. And now, it's time to Ask the Nephrologist. How long can I live on dialysis? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. Life expectancy is always one of these things that uh, is better predicted with a crystal ball than with science. And if you sit down with your doctor, he can look up on a bunch of charts what somebody age 50 with diabetes, starting on dialysis, what the average life expectancy is. Um, What I think is a better way to think about this is that nobody knows how long anyone's going to live. And any number that I could give you off a statistical chart is just a statistic. It applies to a large population of patients. You could live longer, you could live shorter. And I don't find that terribly useful discussion. There are numbers for people who are obsessed with knowing numbers. Um, And I think what's fair to say is that the older you are when you start, the less impact being on dialysis has on your life expectancy, since obviously uh, your life expectancy is going to be driven by your age more than it is by your kidney disease. The younger you are, the more the kidney disease is really going to influence your survival. And if you're very young, if you start have to start dialysis when you're 20 or 30, then life expectancy is more like someone who's 70 or 80 than it is like someone who's 30. And that's a challenge to the scientists working on the whole problem of kidney failure to understand why does a 30-year-old, just because they have kidney failure, look from a heart point of view and from a life expectancy point of view like an 80-year-old. That's not obvious from a scientific point of view, and that's probably the major focus of research right now in the area of early kidney disease. But all one can honestly say is that if you didn't have kidney disease and you weren't on dialysis, you for sure would have a longer life expectancy, barring getting run over by a bus or something, but in terms of from normal medical conditions. So yes, it shortens life. There's no question about it. Uh, But how much is not just dependent on looking at a bunch of charts. It's also dependent on how well you participate in your care because the better you can control your diet, your blood pressure, the amount of fluid you take in between treatments, the better the outcome is going to be and the longer you're going to live. And those are things that are under the patient's control. 
The Ask the Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Ask the Nephrologist segment. Up the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Hanali. Little Jackie Paper loved that rat so Doctor, is there a downside to not being on steroids? Potentially. So first of all, not being on steroids is not an option for some people. And what is the criteria? Well, some, some people have diseases that have caused the renal failure or they happen to have renal failure and another disease that require steroids for control. Is that like an anti-inflammatory disease or something? Something like that. Mm-hmm. People who have autoimmune diseases, um, Wegner's or systemic lupus, and have been exposed for long term to steroids, and sometimes some of them need steroids to maintain quiescence. And so those people require steroids, and you don't want to change that. And what about diabetics? Diabetics do well without steroids, yeah, mm-hmm. in our experience. And yeah, upwards to a third of the transplant recipients, uh, and certainly in the high 20%, are diabetic uh, one way or the other, and they do very well without steroids, with or without a pancreas. So how many people have you think um, in the country have transplants and, and aren't using steroids, and is it only being used in kidneys, or is it used in all organs? I can't give you an exact number. What I can do is tell you, having just reviewed the steroid-free uh, protocols at the American Transplant Congress uh, that was held uh, last spring and summer in, uh, in Boston, there are an increasing number of programs that either, as we do, generally have steroid-free as a uh, standard of baseline for transplantation, or have certain sub-protocols for patients that they believe are better risk, and everybody defines what that is for themselves. So. I would say that there are now um, hundreds of people as opposed to, you know, a handful of people uh, five years ago that are on steroid-free, and I believe it's actually, I'm sure that it's actually a growing growing practice. There are downside risks. There is certainly a learning curve. Many of the uh, protocols that allow this to happen, ours included, are based on inducing the immune system with other immunosuppressants, and that's sort of a whole different discussion, but it, it means you have to sort of prepare the immune system so that it will accept that organ without the use of steroids. If programs don't do that, then, and they rely on standard immunosuppression that's available, uh, drugs like cyclosporin and tacrolimus uh, and uh, rapamycin, others that you may have heard of, um, serolimus, then they tend to have less success. So each program works out a way that they think it'll work. Many of them, I'm sure, look at the ways that, that have been explored by uh, some of the, the pioneering programs and then either adopt those or modify them. Uh, certainly, we've had an increasing request from our own program by other outside programs to uh, discuss strategies and ways of, of employing steroid-free immunosuppression. So the general feeling is, and if you look at the literature that's being presented, that this is a growing practice, slow but a growing practice. And is it mostly introduced to patients who are new to transplant, or are they actually considering people that have been transplanted of removing them from steroids? The people that have 
previously had transplants that are on steroids are the group that are probably in greatest debate because, as I, I said a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. that's the group that's at risk. We don't know who actually requires those low doses of steroids and who can be disencumbered of using steroids safely. So the message is, is don't stop your steroids. If you're listening to the show, it's very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Our approach is to be extremely cautious in discontinuing patients that, that have been on steroids chronically. Well, I know that, you know, I, I'm on a transplant list in the Pacific Northwest where you are from, and uh, I asked about the non-steroidal because I was really interested in it, and they just said, well, we don't do that here at this hospital. They always use steroids. They said they use a low dose of steroids, but they just don't do non-steroidal. It isn't a monolithic uh, practice, and every every center, I know that every center has a different style of practice. Whatever it is, it's based on their their culture, and that culture is designed to the best of their ability to protect their patients. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking and you're signed up with a center that says, um, you know, we just don't do them, then they've come to their best academic conclusion that they don't think it's safe. And mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you sort of have to respect that. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that they've got good outcomes. What are some of the benefits that you're witnessing with patients who, you know, aren't taking steroids? I mean, you've been a transplant nephrologist for many years. Are you seeing a difference? They range from psychological to physiological and all all the entire spectrum of physiology. We don't uh, see the same incidence of uh, problems with... uh, with bony disease afterwards, we don't see the same types of infection. We don't have um, nearly the incidence that we had of post-transplant diabetes, as, as I, I think I said, infection and wound healing. I think it's very important, especially for young people, we don't see cosmetic differences or, ch- or changes. Uh, uh, you, if you see our steroid-free population in the waiting room near or far out from the time of a transplant, Frankly, they don't look much different than people just as a normal population in almost any waiting room. So I, I think, especially for young people, that self-image is extremely important. But I think it's true for anyone. Now, well, what is it that steroids do? Do you uh, they they make you blow up like Jerry Lewis or what? Actually, used in the type of uh, doses that he's unfortunately had to be exposed to, the answer is yes. And in some folks who've had steroids used. Uh, uh, certainly, at least for the short term, the uh, person will always uh, gain weight. Blow, blow up mm-hmm. is a little bit... Um, Extreme? Ex- I felt like a balloon at one time when I was on high doses of steroids. <laughs> but, yeah, and there are also you know, there's psychological issues in terms of lability of, uh, of personality. Emotional roller coaster. <laughs> Those types of, of issues are just constant. There's an, there's an entire spectrum, a myriad of things. When I... When I was a fellow many years ago, you know, our big, one of the big dreams, at least in, in our class, was to eventually figure out how to do this without steroids because of the significant number of side effects. Having, there's also an economic uh, argument that has been well made to look at the, uh, if you could take away the complications associated with steroids alone, it winds up being an economic uh, benefit not just to individuals, but to society uh, uh, overall. Is it true that, uh, or to the, anything to the rumor that transplants uh, don't last as long on non-steroidal? Well, that's that's one of the concerns of the groups that would that continue to use steroids. And again, you're, you're talking to a hammer about a nail here. I think to be fair, and to, or to try and be fair to the community, people who are 
uh, are concerned because they, they have sort of the bird in the hand versus two in the bush. They know what they get with steroids, and they're afraid that without steroids they won't have the same outcomes. As each year goes by and we're able to say, well, you know, our outcomes are not only good, they're at the very top of the heap when you take a look at the um, at outcomes around the country, um, you have to start at some time when you're out five and six years uh, plus uh, start thinking, well, you know, I think the long-term outcomes are probably going to be pretty good. Uh, and so, we're just getting that data now. So the success basically will drive the practices across the country. I mean, I remember early on, like we said, our Emuran was so common, and I mean, you hardly even see that nowadays. So they just phased that out. Well, it was replaced by a drug which acts to do a similar thing through a much safer mechanism. And oh, okay. that's uh, mycophenolate, uh, MMF, um, uh, Celsept is the trade name. So that type of drug, um, the uh, mechanism that it it concentrates on, has been much improved by that that drug, and that's why Imuran is no longer uh, no longer used. If the people who are listening out there, if they're interested in non-steroidal transplantation, what would be their next step? Um, uh, yeah, especially if their center doesn't do it. Well, I I think anyone can get information out of the literature. I mean, I think, although it depends on how sophisticated the person is and how confident they feel in, in reading it, but um, there is uh, there's a plethora, a significant amount of literature out there on steroid-free. You could probably just Google it and, 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 and get some, some information. Certainly up here in the Northwest or just uh, you know, around the area, we would be happy to speak to just about anyone uh, within reason who has a, a sincere interest in pursuing steroid-free immunosuppression and has concerns about it. But um, they, that the patients themselves have to be confident that they have a good working relationship with their center one way or the other, and that uh, you know, armed with appropriate information, you know, can begin a dialogue and find out uh, from them what, what their center's point of view is. So we can have the greatest meds in the world and the greatest cocktail protocols, but if we don't have the organs to transplant, then that becomes the issue. So, well, well, thank you so much, Dr. Marks, for uh, uh, educating us about non-steroidal transplantation, and I hope that this will inspire people to really learn all they can because knowledge is power when you have an illness. Oh, up the magic dragon, live by the sea, and frolic in in a land called Hanali, up the magic ride. Driving a cab in a Big Apple could really get on your nerves. With all the traffic, the noises, the rude drivers. Oh, watch where you're going, wise guy. Get some glasses. Oh, where was I? Oh, yeah, the rude drivers. There's one thing I wish was a little louder or not so quiet. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. I know it's a big word, but you know what? It's a big problem. It's often referred to as a silent disease. I didn't even know what I had until I experienced weakness, achy bones, itchy skin, and sexual dysfunction. But you didn't hear that last one from me. Some people call it the bone disease because of the loss of too much phosphorus and calcium. But what you don't know, Mr. Smarty Pants, is that it also affects soft tissue like the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, bada bing, bada boom, and that's about everything. So don't be a wise guy. Wise up and talk to your doctor about the big boy. Secondary hyperparathyroidism. Whoa, for crying out loud, do me a favor, Grandma. Get off the road and throw away your keys. You know, I, this makes me so concerned. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm ready to get a transplant. My hospital doesn't do, you know, non-steroidal, but they said they only do a little bit of steroids. And 
I don't know. And, you know, I've been taking steroids for 16 years, and it looks pretty clear that I'm going to be taking them until the end of this kidney. Um, it's something that I just wouldn't want to risk. But at the end of the day, I'm still doing great. I can still no, do... Uh, um Even though you do look like Schwarzenegger a bit. <laughs> you put on that funny accent, people think you're the governor. I, you know, I know it just builds those muscles up and everything, doesn't it? You know, steroids have their downside. I mean, uh, you know, but when I have these emotional roller coasters... I can blame it on the steroids. I don't have to blame it on me. Uh, So there is some positives. Like the time you threw the microphone at me. Yes. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.